13th, 2020, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week. Happy New Year. Happy to be back. Again, we took some time to move to a new podcast hosting website. Now, if you find an embedded player on one of our podcast blogs at blogs.va.gov, you will find that you can now share and subscribe right on the player. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcatching app that you may have. Love that. We are also officially launching the VA Podcast Network in 2020. As other VA podcasts come online, hopefully the first season of our first cousin show will be dropping this month. We will bring in the host and give you a preview of that podcast. In the pipeline, we have podcasts on suicide prevention, VA medical research, and a podcast that is the opposite of Born the Battle. Basically, it's about civilians who have never served, but feel obligated to give back to the veteran community. So, so happy to bring you this network here in 2020. All right, I'm going to read two, in my mind anyways, the two biggest news releases in the news release machine since we've been gone. First one says, for immediate release, VA introduces new direct deposit options for veterans and beneficiaries. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, in partnership with the Association of Military Banks of America, or the AMBA, launched the Veterans Benefit Banking Program, the VBBP, available starting on December 20th. The program will provide veterans and their beneficiaries the chance to manage their VA monetary benefits through financial services at participating banks. The current available banking options include direct deposit into existing bank accounts, electronic funds transfers, into a direct deposit prepaid debit card, and mailing of a paper check for pre-approved beneficiaries. The VBBP introduces new financial resources to veterans and their beneficiaries, a program that is an effort to address the problems some veterans experience using these payment methods. The VBBP offers these beneficiaries, including many who have been unable to open bank accounts in the past, the opportunity to deposit their benefit funds directly into existing or new bank accounts offered at participating AMBA member banks. For a list of the banks that are participating in this program, you can go to benefits.va.gov forward slash benefits forward slash banking dot ASP or www.ambahq.org forward slash banks. And two says for immediate release, the Blue Water Navy Vietnam's Veteran Act claims now being determined. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs will begin deciding claims for the Blue Water Navy Vietnam Access of 2019 at 12.01 a.m. Philippine Standard Time, January 1st, 2020. As I understand it, the Philippines is the farthest east VA regional benefits office. The law specifically affects Blue Water Navy veterans who served no more than 12 nautical miles offshore of the Republic of Vietnam between January 6, 1962 and May 7, 1975, as well as veterans who served in the Korean demilitarized zone between January 1st, 1967 and August 31st, 1971. 
These veterans can now apply for disability compensation and other benefits if they have been developed, if they have since developed one of the 14 conditions that are presumed to be related to exposure to herbicides. Veterans do not need to prove that they were exposed to herbicides. Special priority is being given to veterans who are over the age of 85 or have terminal conditions. Survivors can file claims for benefits based on the veteran's service if the veteran died from at least one of the 14 presumptive conditions associated with herbicides such as Agent Orange. The law also provides benefits to children born with spina bifida if their parent is or was a veteran with certain verified service in Thailand during a specific period. Veterans who want to file an initial claim for an herbicide-related disability can use VA Form 21-526EZ, which is the Application for Disability Compensation and Related Compensation Benefits, or work with a VA-recognized veteran service organization to assist with the application process. Veterans also may contact their state veterans office. As a result of the new law, VA will automatically review claims that are currently in the VA review process or under appeal. For more information, visit benefits.va.gov forward slash benefits forward slash blue hyphen water hyphen navy dot ASP or call 1-800-749-8387 for special issues. The specific conditions can be found by searching the term Agent Orange at www.va.gov. In addition to all of this for Blue Water Navy veterans, the act also includes provisions impacting the VA home loan program. Veterans now have more access to obtain no down payment home loans, regardless of loan amount, and the home loan funding fee is reduced for eligible reservists and National Guard borrowers who use their home loan benefits for the first time. VA's website describes the eligibility of certain Purple Heart recipients who do not have to pay a funding fee, as well as other benefits. All right, so this is my first panel discussion for Born the Battle. The bonus panel that came out while I was on hiatus, while great, and it was great, was not a Born the Battle panel. It was a Military Times panel that focused on Marine Corps veteran entrepreneurs. And if you haven't listened to it, go ahead, check it out, because there's some good stuff in there. But this panel that you're going to hear is a Born the Battle homegrown panel. So the topic is the state of military films and the veteran film industry. And you're going to hear from actors Jennifer Marshall, who is a Navy and Born the Battle episode 139 veteran, who has been in Stranger Things, Hawaii Five-0, and hosted CW's Mysteries Decoded show. Hiram Murray, who is a Marine Corps and future Born the Battle veteran, who had a reoccurring role in General Hospital and has had some great roles in TNT's Animal Kingdom, Fox's Lethal Weapon, and has a prominent role in the World War I independent film that just dropped recently, The Great War. Travis Aaron Wade is a Marine and a future Born the Battle veteran. He is an actor that was associated with a reoccurring role on CW Supernatural a couple of years ago, has been on NCIS LA, and recently turned to producing, who helped produce and act in the upcoming film, The Last Full Measure, which we're going to touch on in this panel. And finally, actor... Technical advisor legend, Marine, and Born the Battle episode 170 veteran, Dale Dye. Um, what can I say? Platoon, Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, The Pacific, the list goes on and on. So in this panel, we talk about the state of producing military films in the current era, the state of military veterans in the industry concerning support systems, roles, and we touch on a couple of other things. So with that, here, here is 
the state of military films. Hope you enjoy. All right, we're here with what I think is a is a pretty diverse group in a sense of what each of you veterans bring to the table in terms of experience in the film industry. You all come from different times and places in, in the industry. For one, we have Marine Corps veteran and dare I say military film veteran slash legend, Dale Dye. Present. Very good. Two, we have Marine Corps veteran actor and producer, Travis Aaron Wade. Present. And three, we have Navy veteran and actress Jennifer Marshall. Hi, guys. All right. And four, and he is the third and final Marine veteran, as well as NYPD and LAPD veteran, actor Hiram Murray. Present. All right. Dale, you and Arlie Ermey were like, you guys were like the old men of the Marine Corps when it comes to, when it comes to this. You guys were like the Gandalf veterans in this industry, if you will. I mean, there were some other veterans in the industry, but none that really focused on veteran and veteran stories. You've seen significant history in the terms of the relationship with the film industry, the military, and the relationship between the two. From the time that you came on in Platoon, what has that military Hollywood relationship like before Platoon, after Platoon? How is that relationship built? Well, there's there's two aspects here, and I, I think Travis and Jen will, will uh, echo this, although I've been doing it longer than they have. The... It's a weird relationship between Hollywood and the veteran community. In general, Hollywood has a tendency to piss the veteran community off, and, and that's because they they don't get us. Now we've we've all worked. All of us who are veterans who are in the industry have worked very hard to improve that relationship, and I think we've made major progress there. Yeah. Um, I think there is a tendency now to look for uh, a veteran as an advisor, not necessarily as an actor. Uh, although I think that time is coming. What has, what has really kind of hurt us is the fact that we're, we're in a long drought brought on by the fact that no stories about our current wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, they haven't really made any money and they haven't triggered audiences the way certain other stories have, other military related stories. Okay. So we came through a long drought. The producers, the guys with the money would say, yeah, yeah, very good, but we're not going to, we're not going to spend 40, 45, $80 million on that story when ones about, pre- about that subject previously have not done any, any business. And, and I think we are coming out of that now. I'm, I'm very pleased, and I hope Travis and Jen are paying attention here. I'm very pleased to see Midway, for instance. You know, I have some problems with the story and the way it was shot, but who cares? Sure. It did, it did, it did nice box office. 1917 is a smash. If you haven't seen that, see it. Yeah. And I think, I think what, what that reflects is that the audience writ large – and by this, I'm not talking about the folks who give you 20 bucks to go sit in a theater because that's a diminishing crowd. But I think audiences who are controlling their own consumption have become interested once again in military stories. And that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> very, very, very good. Jen Travis? Uh, Jen, go ahead. You know, I think I've, I have not been in this as long as Dale and Dale is absolutely a legend. So I'll speak from the six years I've been in Hollywood. I think that, you know, Hollywood is getting better about seeing actors. And I can only speak from the actor's point of view for military and for veteran roles, because they see that we bring something inherently unique and authentic to the roles. I think it's only fair to bring in veterans. If you're going to tell our story, if you're going to make money off of it, 
please just be fair and accurate in it. And a simple way to bring authenticity is to have a technical advisor, have someone in the writing room, have actors who served and really involve us in the storytelling process. I think it's getting better, but I don't think where it needs to be. I don't think it's where it needs to be quite yet. 100%. Well, I had a, a little bit of a, um, a come to Jesus here over the last few years because, you know, I, I have been acting for 20 years and then I got into producing about four years ago. And for about 20 years, the last thing I really wanted to do was be in military film, so to speak, because I didn't want to get, you know, pigeonholed as, as just the guy coming out of the military and only able to do military films. And, and that really was a big mistake of mine because I should have just came in doing what I knew instead of trying to be all these other things as an actor sure. uh, to show that I could be something other than myself, which was making, you know, a more difficult road, even more difficult. And looking back, that's just a lesson you learn. But with that being said, that process taught me the craft of acting. And I had to learn the craft of acting rather than just coming in out of the military a few years in college and then saying, you know, look, I'm a Marine. I should be in all these military movies. And I think Captain uh, Di and I will agree that uh, sometimes having no military experience could be even better for a film because then you can kind of train them and prepare in a way that is familiar to making a film rather than, you know, guys that served or gals that served in 2005 thinking that they can understand, you know, what it was like to be in the Vietnam War, which brings up the film that Dale and I both worked on as actors. I worked on as a producer. Dale and I worked on as military advisors. But The Last Full Measure, which comes out in January, uh, that was a big eye opener for me because everybody was looking at me saying, hey, you know, he's the one guy on on set in Thailand that has served. You know, what was it like? And I was like, I have no frigging clue what the Vietnam War was like. Sure, sure. I served from 94 to 96 in a, in a very, in a somewhat peaceful time. And I, you know, I didn't see combat nor had I I'd been through combat, but you have all these actors and people on production looking at you going like, yeah, yeah, he served. So there's, you know, there's a lot to be said there, but, you know, I think the, the point being is you, you need to learn the craft. You know, you just can't come out of the military and think that because I was a Marine, Navy, Army, that I should just automatically be in front of the cameras to perform a role. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Amen. You, know, you, you need to learn the craft. So that, that's my, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll add a little bit to that. One of the big changes, and, and, and I'm really happy to see it, especially as it relates to veteran actors. For a long time, there was a tendency on the part of young men and women who came out of the military, not to mention it, not to put it on their resume, because they rightly felt that Hollywood had this impression that anybody who, who, who spent four years in the military instead yeah. of going to drama school couldn't possibly have a creative bone in their body. They couldn't have any talent or, or you know, they wouldn't be the knuckle dragger that they clearly are. And, and I think that's changed. And I'm so delighted to see it because I work constantly with young, young men and women like Travis and, and Jen. And, and I see that talent. I mean, it's there. They couldn't have done what they did for three or four years in the military successfully without having a little dramatic talent to begin with. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw a lot of drama in Lance Corporal's 
<laughs> oh yeah, listen, the Lions Corporal Underground has more fantastic actors than you'll ever find in your life. And you know, all you got to all you got to do is go aboard any ship and look for that that striker bosun's mate down there, and he's probably the best actor you've ever seen because he's he's gun gun all over the place trying to trying not to have to go to work. But but the neat thing is, and the point I'm trying to make here is that is that I've seen a change, not only in casting agents but in in directors and producers who are beginning to recognize that, you know, the fact that that person spent three or four years in the military is actually an asset and not a liability. And I'm, I'm overjoyed that, that Hollywood is beginning to see it that way. Very good. Hiram, have you felt that you ever had to hide your military service from your resume or have you felt it as more of an asset? No, it's, it's only been an asset. I mean, I've been on so many productions where with veterans and because this industry is a collaborative industry, you know, and because of our past training experience, we, we, we get the done. You know, we have a mission, which is to get this film made and we make it happen. We adapt, we overcome, we do whatever is necessary to get it done. And that's what producers are starting to find out about having veteran actors. It's like there's there's no divas. It's like they will do whatever they need to do to accomplish the goal. And the goal is this project. So gotcha. for me, it's me especially, I first came into, well, not first, but when I got back into the industry, it was through technical advising for both the military and law enforcement. You know, some producers were seeing that, wait a minute, I don't have to hire a separate entity. You know, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. He did what, what we're portraying. And on top of that, he can act. Let's just hire him. So it's, it's only been a benefit for me. Because it's it was the difference between myself and another actor. Oh, he really knows what he's doing. He's did this before. He can bring that level of authenticity to it. Yeah, very good. All right, so let's talk about today. You know, not discounting the Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now because those are great films in the late seventies. But from the eighties to the early two thousands, there was a really great run for military stories told on the silver screen. You know, we can run through a platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Saving Private Ryan, Thin Red Line. We were soldiers, Band of Brothers, Letters at Iwo, yada, 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 on and on Pacific. What's changed? Well, uh, frankly, I, I think what changed was success. Hmm. No, nothing succeeds like success. And and when when you look at the films you just mentioned, in particular, miniseries like the, the ones that we did, Band of Brothers and, and the Pacific. Yeah. Um, they they were you know you didn't have to pay twenty bucks to go in and see those you could you could see them on your on your TV screen or on your device yeah and I think I think what happened was the audience suddenly flourished suddenly you found people really really celebrating those projects mm-hmm. and it was an eye opener uh, for for Hollywood and and regimes change in Hollywood just like generations change in the military. And I think what you're seeing now is is more people recognizing that that veteran experience is is an asset, not a liability. Now, something something to what Hiram said that that I've found interesting. He's right. You know, there are there are producers who say, "Look, I don't I don't have to hire this guy, die, and pay him a pot full of money. I got I got uh, Hiram Murray here, and and he knows all about this, and I'll cast him." And then I'll ask him to be our technical advisor also. Yeah, but what happens is the unions get involved. Mm. And, and all of a sudden, Hiram, who's not only an actor, 
and and therefore has to work under certain union rules and so on and so forth. Now they're saying, look, come in every day and maybe they're not paying him anymore for that. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the unions get all upset. So we're, we're about to hit that roadblock. And I've seen it. I've seen it cause problems on the set. Now, that's a that's an inside business thing. And, and who gives a crap? But <laughs> well, it's, but, good, it's good to know. You know, yeah, I think but, I, but it's there. It's there. And I'm seeing it. You know, I'm seeing I'm seeing union reps on the set say, wait a minute. Who is this guy? He's an actor. Uh, he's on the call sheet. So I, unless you're paying him extra, you know, to come in off call and, and so on and so forth when he's on hold and give you all this advice and work with your department heads and everything, there's a problem here. So we're, we're, we'll defeat it. We'll, we'll get over it. But, but it's not as easy as it seems. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hiram, you got anything to add to that? No, it's it, it's one hundred percent accurate. Fortunately, the projects and producers that I've worked with they they have kicked in the extra penny to for to have me on set um, when I'm not actually filming. Um, yeah. But like I said, it's it it has helped me. It's helped me get jobs, you know, over other people because I bring something extra to the table. Gotcha. Yeah, and and that's and that's an asset. Absolutely, we'll we'll get over the other yeah. stuff. I just wanted folks to be aware that it's not just like you know we hired Jen for for a battleship movie and and she comes in and we cast her in a role and then we say okay Jen and I want you here from call uh, from crew call until wrap despite the fact that you know you're you're officially on hold and and so on and right. so forth. That's that's you know a labor obstacle we have to get over. So definitely something that I think veterans coming into the industry should should be aware of. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay, so you talk about it, it was flourishing, Dale, and and not to say that there there haven't been films recently, like you know American Sniper comes to mind, Unbroken, Hacksaw Ridge, maybe maybe Fury, but I really don't get excited for those movies like I did from the eighties to the two thousands. Has has all this and has all this affected funding? Yeah, it has. And and here's the deal. And again, I'm, I'm going to get into the movie making weeds here with you a bit. Sure. Um, it, it's because of what's called CGI or computer generated imagery. It used to be that we'd make a, a really rock and roll uh, war movie with combat sequences in it. And we'd do everything practical and we'd blow up the, you know, the location <laughs> and we'd fire blanks and, and rock and roll. But now we've we've got a situation where so much of that is computer generated imagery and and that has driven the cost up for instance and and this will just give you uh, an example yeah. we made platoon for 10 million dollars all in that was it that was everything we didn't have a penny more and nobody was going to give us a penny more now if we tried wow. to do that film today and enhanced it with computer generated imagery it'd be 80 million and that's that's come to be what you know. You figure in the costs. You figure thirty percent of your budget is going to be computer generated imagery stuff. The the problem is, and I'd be interested to hear what what Jen and and yeah. uh, Hiram and and Travis have to say about this. The problem I think is that so many of the movies that involve CGI end up looking like video games. Mm-hmm. And and the story, I mean, a classic example, I guess, is Pearl Harbor. Although, sure. you know, that sucked like a Hoover vacuum cleaner. But but the point is <laughs> that, that you see extraordinary images and flash and crash, and it ends up looking like a video game or a comic book. And I'm against that. 
because war, combat, as I can tell you from experience, is not a video game. Sure. There's a tendency to ignore the enemy, you know, to make the enemy just an object that trots across the screen and disappears into a pink mist. Uh, I'm against that. Uh, I think it misrepresents what combat really is. And if we if we continue in that vein, if we continue in that area, we're going to have Mr. and Mrs. Computer Nerd you know, the millennials are going to be delighted with it. But the veterans, those of us who know what combat is, uh, are going to be back resenting Hollywood again. So we need to, we, we need to find a way to unscrew that. I think as a, as a, as a film consumer, you can see that it, not just in military films, but yeah. even, even in Marvel and, and as an avid gamer, I see it looking like a, more of like a video game. And I think right. I'm looking more back to, you remember when the new Mad Max came out? And everyone's like, oh, it's great cinematography. And and I just kept thinking, no, that was more practical effects than CG. I think, I mean, I 100% agree with Dale. But the thing is, because this is a business, the producers and the powers that be, they aren't, they're not really caring for the, for the realism about it. They want to do what sells. There you go. That's right. You know, we, we, we're, we're in a generation where, you know, like the video game in, industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. You have games like Call of Duty or, or you know, Tom, all the Tom Clancy games, you know, yeah. they just glorify it and they have like the best graphics. So the consumer, the audience wants to see that in their movies and producers want to give them that, you know, the, the films from yesterday's in the 70s and 80s, you know, it's, it's not going to cut it. And everything is about how can I make my film the biggest so I can get the biggest return? Yeah, you're, you're dead right, Hiram. But but look, I think it's it's in it's incumbent on us yeah. who know the real story right. uh, to to fix that, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 convince the producers uh, and the directors that, look, what really happens is so much more dramatic than a video game. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so stick to the story. The flash and clash will come. And I think even in, even in the video game industry, it's not even the um, the flash the the, the flashiness is, isn't what grabs gamers. It's it's the writing. It's the story. It's it comes down to the same basics that are in a good film. Mm-hmm. Now, tra- Travis, you're you and Dale are securing funding on a project right now. Mm-hmm. Has the comic book genre? Has the video games? Has that affected how potential investors look towards that film? Sure. I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the pendulum always swinging the other way. And it's, it's swung quite one way for quite some time. And I think it's going to swing back, especially when it comes to telling films about war and the stories and the heroics within, you know, those actions. And, you know, when it comes to Dale's story, no better place to die. I mean, you know, you're talking about a very intimate story that sure, you know, there's going to be a lot of great opportunities for some wonderful effects. And, you know, just the opening alone of that script is incredibly intense and it'll take a lot of um, CGI to accomplish that. But with that being said, when the boots hit the ground, you're talking about extremely intimate storytelling. And, um, and I, you know, I, I do think it's harder to secure funding because it's harder to get investors to see to see the the ultimate vision of the story you're trying to tell but with that being said you have 
a market now that's driven by star power yep. and there's only you know so many stars out in, in the universe and when i what i mean by that are stars that trigger money mm-hmm. and you know all that changes with time so you know you can go out to an actor in january of 2018 and they can say look i love the story i'd love to work with dale i'd love to work with tom hanks and gary sinise and let's go make this story but I'm not available until January of 2020. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't know what's going to happen to that set actor who could trigger money in January 18. What's going to happen to the three movies they have coming out and what that does to their market by the time we land in 2020 and they're good to go. So it's it's really, it's really, Travis is right. Look, um, here's the thing. Given what movies cost, and look, no better place to die. We've only got a $40 million budget, which is, you know, relative to a a, a Marvel tentpole movie uh, with Spider-Man and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's chunk change. Yeah. But the problem is the people who, are, who have the ability to write the check uh, want insurance. And this is what Travis is getting to. And, the, you know, making movies you know, as, as Hiram and John will tell you, is, is a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're trying to second guess what the audiences of today are going to buy, what they expect, what they want. And, and that's a crapshoot. It's the biggest crapshoot in the world. Yeah. It's a very subjective art form. And so what happens is that you, you say, look, just give me $40 million and I promise you, based on my, my past record or, or movies I've made before, that this will be a magnum hit. And, of course, they say, yeah, but can I have some insurance? You know, it's like taking out a loan. They, they want you to, you know, to sign over your house in case you screw up and don't make the loan. <laughs> and, and the way the only insurance that they can see, and this is what Travis was getting to, are these a, so-called A-list actors Look, I, w- I would be delighted to just take Hiram and Jen and Travis and make the damn thing and, and watch it rock and roll. Yeah. But, but the guys who've got the, the moneymaker pen say, no, you know, can you get Chris Pine uh, or can you get the Brad Pitt or can you get this guy? And if so, uh, we'll feel great about giving you the money. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you go and talk to the representatives for Chris Pine or Trav- or uh, Brad Pitt, and they say, "Well, is your is your money is your uh, is your project funded?" And you say, "No, but but if Chris and or or, or Brad will sign on, it will be funded." And you're in Hollywood Catch Twenty Two, which is exactly where a lot of films end up. Got you, got you. Yeah, there's a ma- there's a magic to it, and you know you have to believe in the magic, and that's something Dale and I have discussed over the years, which is. You know, work and hard work and putting the right people together takes time and the right pieces of the puzzle need to come together. And, you know, they came together with Tom at the right time. You know, we, get, we were able to get to Gary and that came together at the right time. And now they're sitting there and, you know, Tom has a movie come out, the, the Mr. Rogers one, and, and he's back in the, in, the, in the spotlight again. And it's funny because you think, what do you mean Tom's back in the spotlight? You know, he's always been there. But, you know, it's always hit or miss. If Tom has three bad films that, you know, that could not not trigger money and they may need someone to add to that. They mean, well, we need Tom and somebody else. And it's putting these pieces of the puzzle together that, you know, you need everybody to kind of come in, contribute where they can. And, you know, right now with No Better Place to Die, we have a really good team going at it to put the right pieces of the puzzle together. 
And it looks like it's coming together. But with that being said, you know, that all can change tomorrow. You know, sure. you don't know. Yeah, you really don't. It's it's like herding cats, guys. I mean, <laughs> it, it really is. And and look, just look at at, at the, the new film that's coming out January 24th, uh, Last Full Measure. That was that was an extraordinary. Todd Robinson literally had to herd cats. I mean, the film has got uh, Sebastian Stan, Christopher Plummer, Sam Jackson, William Hurt, Ed Harris, Peter Fonda in his last yeah, screen appearance, yeah. Diane Ladd. It's got it's got glitz. It's got some veterans in there, veteran actors in there, and yet he he just he, he, it almost drove him nuts. Mm to get all of those cats herded into one place. And it was only when he did get those cats herded into one place that he got the green light to go ahead and make this marvelous, marvelous movie, Last Full Measure. Yeah. Uh, I hope everybody gets to see it. It's, it's, re- it's a touching, veteran-oriented story. You know, I, I actually got to see it. It's a great story about an Air Force PJ. It's less about the battle where he received the Medal of Honor and more about the soldiers that were being saved, in my opinion. Yeah, and their faith and their faithfulness to that airman, ensuring that his medal gets upgraded. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. for 40, 40 or fifty years, they worked trying to get his decoration upgraded. And you see the you see the love and concern that those of us who are veterans know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on full and rabid display. Now, we- so I think that's the point. It's, of the it's definitely a smaller budget than we what what you know Saving Private Ryan, for instance. Yeah. But but why is it important for the veteran community to support military films like that? Oh, for, well, there's, you know, let me let me just say this, because you're talking about this film and Dale and I were on it. We included a lot of veterans on that film. In fact, we had well over 60 veterans uh, there that were either in that battle, a part of that battle or part of getting this gentleman the Medal of Honor. I mean, we actually put them in the film. They have screen time. A few of them have speaking roles. A lot of them are military advisors on it. Todd really did an amazing job with taking all the names that Dale just said. And listen, let's let's be honest. In the veteran community, some of the names Dale said, I'm not going to say who, don't resonate well with the veteran community, but they sure resonate well with the acting community and they resonate well in film. Yeah. And so there was a balance between how do we get the right actors who resonate well in a story like this being told by and for and with other veterans. And that's something Dale and I have always talked about. How do you make that perfect storm come together? How do we use the real life guys, guys that actually have done it? How do we bring enough of those guys in, give them enough, you know, on, uh, no, enough settings at the table to play. And then how do we bring in these other uh, instruments of, of Hollywood legendary gold and have them intermix together and learn from one another? And that's what happened on this film is that, you know, you had guys that fought in that war and you had guys that fought in that battle. And it was one of the bloodiest days in Vietnam. They lost 80% of their guys. You know, these men have lived with this battle, have lived with the fact that this airman dropped down, saved their lives. And when he wasn't supposed to be the one doing it. And, you know, then you have Peter Fonda over here, who we all know didn't want to be anything to do with that war and was, you know, has a very long history with with his his, his politics and so to speak. And all that went out the door when Peter stepped on set and, and the guys started to meet Peter and Peter started to meet guys. Peter came prepared with his entire history of acting and all of his craft. And these guys came in with everything that they had experienced 
And I think it's one of Peter Fonda's greatest roles. I I think he goes out like he's never gone out before. I mean, he delivered and it was a beautiful come together of, of two people, you know, the military community and Peter Fonda and what he represents and him coming together. And you saw it there on set and during the performance and you'll see it on screen. Those guys who got to meet Peter and hear his, hear his story and you know, Peter got to tell them his story and it was a beautiful, beautiful, uh, result. And that's all I'll say about it because, you know, those guys prior to meeting Peter Fauna, let's just say they weren't fans, but after this film and after meeting Peter and especially this being his swan song and his last role, wow, what a, what a way to go out. Yeah. So, well, I think a lot of, a lot of that was, was about his sister more than it was him, but but at, at any rate, can I, I? I'm senior officer president of board here, so I'm going to order a direction change. Okay. Um, I'd I'd like to hear from Jen. Yeah. Um, and and here's here's let me ask you a question, Jen. Yeah. You're a female actor out there, and and we're in the Me Too generation. I get it. And Hollywood is scrambling, just scrambling, to find uh, female stories, female directors. Is is there? Are you? Do you detect? or sense any desire to tell uh, military stories that are oriented on females that aren't rape and sexual harassment, so on and so forth? No, to be honest with you, I don't. Um, I'd say the only exception is, you know, I've heard some rumblings about stories about the women on the cultural support teams. Um, That got a little bit of traction. And then, of course, Megan Levy was a movie made a few years ago about, you know, Mike Mike Dowling's former dog. She was the handler after that, Sergeant Rex. So that's pretty much the only traction that it's gotten. And to be honest with you, as an actor, it was really, really difficult. I had the opposite experience that Travis had, because when I was trying to break into these roles, they would basically say, you know, you just don't look like a female veteran. You know, I wasn't (laughs) Which is so crazy, but I wasn't butch enough. I wasn't, you know, whatever enough. And so I actually had to write and film a scene, put it on my reel. And my agent had to pitch myself to casting that way saying, look, she is. So once it was on screen, you know, then they sort of kind of saw, okay, female veterans look like just anyone. We're a microcosm of society. But mainly the feedback I get is we want to tell your stories, but we really don't want you involved. And the focus tends to be only MST, which is not indicative of any any aspect of service. I think we all have a full, rich story. Even if someone did experience an MST, our service and our experience goes far beyond that. Yeah, I, it, yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me, it puts me in mind of the situation that, that uh, we faced in the 70s and, and, and 80s, where Hollywood thought that every, every veteran uh, of, the, of the sort of Vietnam era was some kind of nose picker, nuggle dragger, who, you know, who, and, and that was the mm-hmm. image that they had. And so I guess, I guess female veterans are, are facing that, that wrong image uh, as it is i tell you good good luck i'll do every damn thing i can to to change their mind because you're right i mean the feel that you know i worked with females all practically all my military career mm-hmm. and you know there were good ones and there were bad ones but the vast majority were just folks mm-hmm. i, I you go, know who were motivated to do a job i go back to ed o'neill and modern family like the navy and, and jen and i talked about in her in her episode the Navy was part of his story, but it wasn't the dramatic piece to his story in Modern Family. He's just a veteran. 
Yeah. And they take parts of that when they need to, to tell whatever the story they're going to tell in that, in that episode. Yeah, I guess so. I, I think, I think one of the things that, that, um, that I'm seeing, um, and, and it's getting better because our, our military these days just do everything in, in a combat uniform. You know, whether it's the ACU or it's a digital camouflage or it's the Navy's old blueberries. So the mistakes, especially in, in female uniforms, are less than they used to be because there's no opportunity to screw it up that bad. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, you, you see females in, in their dress uniforms, whatever the service, and constantly they're screwed up. I don't, I don't get it. And, and somebody needs to get out there and unscrew it. Well, Dale, I'd also like to point out that a lot of the mistakes that I see are appallingly trying to make us look more sexy. So it will be like a button undone or that's the answer, right? You know, it's tailored to, to fit a certain way to hug curves. And I, one of the things I loved about being in the military was that I had that equality and that I could work alongside the males and be judged on my own merits. So that's really disturbing to me as a female veteran, when I see that sort of thing, and especially when I go on set and they want me to look more, you know, voluptuous or whatever, that, that's not the point of the uniform. Yeah. No. Yeah, it really isn't. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, Jen. You know, I'm glad I'm glad that it's got your anger up because it mm. should. And I've, I've certainly seen it. And, you know, I just sneak around behind their backs. <laughs> you know, if, if, if they've got that gal's blouse, you know, undone, I just walk in and do it back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I glare at the, at the wardrobe people, you know, and, and threaten to unscrew their head and crap in their shoulders and they leave it alone. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to see you do that and continue the march. Yeah. That's awesome. That's Good awesome. Story. Coming back to how the veteran community can help support what you guys are trying to, trying to do in Hollywood with, with everything Hire, I mean, Hiram at the time of this drop, you have had a couple of independent military stories released within the past couple of months, one being Tango Down. Why why should the veteran community check out ones that maybe aren't as widely released or don't have as large a budget like Last Full Measure, like like Tango Down? I mean, you even had one that was not only a military story, but it was staffed and acted by veterans, right? Correct. That, that, that was Tango Down. Um, I mean, it all, it all boils down to showing up and letting the, the industry know that these films – can actually, you know, make money, actually ha- have, you know, tell stories and, and, and pack those theaters with, with audience members because they're not seeing that unless, unless it's a big, you know, mega blockbuster that has like $100 million behind it and you have Tom Hanks or whatever A-list celebrity in it, Hollywood's not looking to the independent films, you know, for military movies. It just doesn't make money. And that's that's the bottom line for, for Hollywood. It's like, what makes money? I don't care how good the story is. If if the veterans aren't showing up, aren't supporting, aren't, you know, talking about it and, 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 and doing whatever they need to do to get the word out, it, it just gonna, it's just going to fail. Yeah, yeah. look, I, Hiram's right. And, and frankly, um, the time is, is hot now. We need to strike now uh, among the veteran community. And, and look, I, I think the, the days of taking a small film like Hiram was talking about, Tango Down and, and several others, and expecting them to get a long release in the Cineplex yeah. is not going to happen. Yeah. And, and if it does, nobody's going to pay attention to it because you don't have the prom- promotional money, you know, the, the ad budget and so on and so forth. So the way to go with this is to go to the streamers 
you know, go to Netflix, go to go to Disney Plus and Apple Plus and, and so on and so forth and and get those little stories out there because they're looking for them. They're hungry. There's a gaping maw that they have to fill. Yeah, they're always starving for content. And the way the veterans get involved in that is then they get on the social media and God knows, you know, I, I call it the interweb. You know, they, they're out there staring at their phones in the chow line. Yeah. So that's where you that's where you tell them about Hiram's film. And and you don't expect them to go and find it in some cineplex where they might have to drive 50 miles because, you know, it's, it's only being shown for two weeks or one week. You, you get it on the streamers and you you get it out there and you say, look at this now. Hollywood didn't used to pay attention to that because it wasn't a big money stream. They're beginning to pay attention to it. Now I'm seeing it. They're beginning to ask me about things they've seen of all things on YouTube. Mm. And I, I know that's, you know, that that's passe, but they're asking me about things. Did you see this? Did you see that? And these are guys who probably didn't know what it was four years ago. So there's an opportunity here. We've we got to strike while the, Fire is hot. Dale is 100 percent correct. I mean, right now is honestly the best time for actors. We, you know, what is called the streaming wars is going on right now in the industry. You got Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, uh, and all these other HBO Max is about to come out. Universal's Peacock is about to come out. And the one thing all these companies have to do, they have to put out mass content just to stay relevant because they they have a hundred different other companies that is their competition. Yeah. It, when they're asking Dale, if did you see this on YouTube? Did we see that? We've we as a society have changed the way we look at things. Okay, we're yeah. training our brains every single day to watch things for like thirty seconds or seven seconds. You know, because yeah. of all these different YouTube videos or, or TikTok and all this other stuff. And and producers and the the money men are realizing that there are more people glued to their phones than there are people that are showing up to the theater. So that's. There where the money is. That's how we get them. We got to put it on these portable devices. We have to show them, you know, get 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 into the streaming wars and whatnot in order to make I'd a success like, at this I'd industry. I'd also like to offer a call to action to the listeners. The military community and the veteran community, we are so loud on social media. We are raucous. We, you know, we speak out. We're rabble rousers. Sometimes we can be borderline annoying, but we also, you know, when we see something, <laughs> when we see something in a well, <laughs> borderline or annoying as hell sometimes when we see something in a movie and it enrages us and we say the uniform isn't right that's not right i would say channel your energy when you see something that is good and you see something that's accurate use your social media voice to support that yes. because what that's going to do is show Absolutely. producers okay this has a built-in audience an audience that cares an audience that tweets an audience that will bring more more press and more attention to the project. So use that social media for good. For good, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Jen Jen is smack on the money and so is Hiram. Yeah. Look, when 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 we got finally got the word about the release of Last Full Measure, I whipped it up on four or five of my websites and yep. it, it just exploded. The veteran community exploded because they watch, you know, they for some reason they're interested in what I've got to say. And, and, and when you say it, that veteran community jumps. Jen's dead right. 100%. You know, she's, Jen, you've been a great advocate ever since, for the veteran community ever since uh, 
I've noticed since I came out in 20, when I got out of the Marine Corps in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, when I first saw VME, when it was VFT, how have veterans in this industry supported each other and how are they doing it now? Oh, it's it's been really wonderful. You know, some of my best friends in Los Angeles are veterans, and it's difficult when you come to Los Angeles or New York. Uh, it's very, it could be very isolating. The entertainment community is very kind of me, me, me. I don't want to tell you anything. I don't want to help you because that might give you an edge. Sure. And in the veteran community, for the most part, it hasn't been that way. It's been very supportive. It's been very wonderful. And I'm very, very thankful that we have that community. And there's a hashtag that's been started called actors who serve. And so basically if an actor who has been in the military books a project, we use this hashtag to kind of bring awareness to it and show how we can bring added value to the project. But there is no way I would be where I'm at today. And I I doubt, you know, Hiram or Travis would, would argue with this if it wasn't for the support of my brothers and sisters. And I'm immensely grateful for that. The, the problem, you, you're exactly right. There is a problem, though, and we've got to be aware of it. Uh, we, we, we can become an echo chamber mm-hmm. where we're talking to each other mm-hmm. and giving each other support and, and, and encouragement and trying to break down, you know, the, the depression that comes over anybody uh, who tries to do work in movies and television, mm-hmm. uh, because that's a constant deal. And, and the, veteran, the veteran sites and the veteran community is very good at that. You know, they'll encourage you. They'll, they'll say, look, don't give up, you know, stick to it. Uh, rock and roll out there. But, yeah. but a lot of times we're talking to ourselves. And while there's a value in that, we need to we need to let other people outside that circle and and within the Hollywood community know that we're that powerful, that we're that together and that we represent a wall of resistance out here or a wall of talent. You got to be careful not to not to just hit a button and, and talk to your buddy because you need to be talking to a lot of people. So careful where you go with that message. Definitely. Echo chamber, echo, echo chamber, and the with yeah, the better circular firing. Well, as, We're very good. That at sounds that. like that. Also, sounds like podcasters, like the podcasting community. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? And, I imagine. Yeah. And Tanner, I I do want to point out one more thing yeah. um, to go off of what Captain Captain Die was saying because. Sometimes we also get into the habit of, and this touches back on what we talked about earlier, the entitlement. Well, I served, so I should be A, B, and C, directing a movie, writing a script, starring in a show. And I think, you know, vets can come out here and we can have the support system that we've created, but you also have to put in the work. Because if you expect to just, you know, could you imagine if an actor had said, well, I played a gunny sergeant five times, so I should go into the Marine as a gunnery sergeant. Uh. That is like a ridiculous sort of proposition, but you'll have <laughs> actors say, well, I played a gunnery sergeant, so I should be the lead in this TV show. Yeah. So we really have to just focus ourselves, humble ourselves and say, let's put in the work, use the support of the community, but don't come into this with some entitled notion of we deserve A, B, and C. Yep. There's a lot of that out there too, Jen. Good, good point. Absolutely. You make a good point, Jen, because one of the things over the last few years that really stood out for me was, you know, how loud the military community is um, when it comes to those who, including myself, who have served, who, who have put in 10 plus years into the community of, of, of working in entertainment and feeling like you've 
deserve something. And, and not to say that, you know, you haven't earned the right to work, but, you know, I think about those plays on Broadway and, you know, those actors that were with those plays since they began. And then all of a sudden those plays turn into movies. And yeah, of course, they're going to grab some of those wonderful actors from those plays, but then they're going to put like Taylor Swift in Cats, right. you know, <laughs> right. person whoever played that role for X amount of years was like, holy hell, my half my cast is in Cats, but that, you know, Taylor Swift got my role. And you know, li- listen, that's just the way the, the ball bounces, yeah. right? And Um, it's not just us as veterans, you know, I mean, we take it more personal because what we've done as veterans is at some point we've been willing to risk our lives for this country and for those to have their freedoms. So we get a little bit more personal about it than someone who, you know, put 10 years on Broadway, but you know, a job is the job. It's not, you know, it's show business. It's not show veterans favors. And 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 they have to understand that, you know, and I had to learn that, you know, and, and, and Captain Dye will tell you, I, he watched me learn it as we've been working together. It's, it's something you have to learn. Mm. You have to learn when, you know, what's your contribution to the project and when you need to step aside and say, Hey, there's a better actor who's got name value who can bring money in a role that I possibly could play right now. But he's the one who's going to bring the financing and he's the one who's going to help getting the story told. Mm -hmm. And that's why I started transitioning more from, from acting into producing because I started caring more about, do I care more about my acting career or do I care more about this story being told? Well, that's that's one of the that's one of the extraordinary assets that a, that a veteran actor brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Look, we, we're quite we're team players. Yes, right. We get it that there's a there's something out there, namely the mission, which is more important than any individual. Yeah. And every veteran actor I have met mm-hmm. brings that to it. You know, a certain humility, mm-hmm. a certain look. Okay, it, whatever's good for the project, let me do it. Um, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I will support the story. I will support the project. Yeah. And that's, that's an asset that Hollywood loves, dearly loves. Hiram, Hiram talked about it earlier. Right. And if you can convince them that you're that guy or that gal, man, you, you have just taken a huge leap. All good points. All good points. You you all mentioned support systems, and and when I got out, you know, I first was made aware of, of VME. What other support systems are out there in Hollywood for someone that is coming into the industry? Hiram, I think I mean you got a better organization, right? Yeah, it's called Veteran Powered Films. They're the people, the people behind Tango Down. Um, also, I'm part of VME. And both those organizations can point veteran actors to various other organizations. What what else is out there? When when I started, there damn sure was nothing. (laughs) (laughs) There was Oliver Stone. There was the Oliver Stone Foundation for Dale. (laughs) Yeah, there was. (laughs) Jen? I would say that Adam Driver has a nonprofit in New York called Arts and the Armed Forces. And that's very beneficial. It's also helped me. I I joined the American Legion and, you know, I'm part of the Hollywood Post and there's a lot of people there with a lot of experience. So a lot of it, you know, especially with VME, it's just, um, it's a connection sort of resource. So once it just puts you in touch with other people working in the industry. So simply membership, not even any of the, you know, thing that goes on behind the scenes, but just being a member of it, you know someone who knows someone who knows someone. And that's where I've created my community is 
just getting involved uh, in veteran organizations here. And we're, we're everywhere. We've saturated Hollywood. There's so many of us, which is surprising to me. Another one is uh, We Are the Mighty. They helped a lot with Last Full Measure, by the way. That just to- That's how I I saw it. Yeah. All right, gents and lady, um, (laughs) parting shots. Is there something that I missed that you think is important to share? We'll go Hiram, Travis, Jennifer, and then Dale. Uh, Another reason why uh, military films are so important is is that we give the civilian world an a honest depiction of what's going on. They they watch the news and they see various battles and they and they see the outcome. But if it, if it wasn't for like military films, people wouldn't know the process that our brothers and sisters go through. They won't understand why we do what we do. You know, half the time people are like, oh, do you believe in this mission? Do you believe, especially in this political climate, do you believe in what your, your leader or your commander in chief is saying and stuff like that? That's all fine and dandy. But when the bullets and explosions start happening, you know, that's like the furthest thing from our minds. We're worrying about the men and women to the right of us. And we're, we're trying to accomplish the mission and, and get each other home safely. And military films depict that. They show this brotherhood that the military really is about. Very good. Travis? You know, I would, I would say the last year has been really interesting with the two films, with Last Full Measure, No Better Place to Die, and seeing one that took 20 years to make uh, come to fruition and, and helping be a part of watching Dale's slowly come to fruition as well. But the support from the veteran community has been incredible. Uh, we've screened Last Full Measure over 30 different times around the United States at different military bases. Uh, it's been unbelievable to show it to the people we've been able to show it to, uh, the, the response and the support that we've had. And I think you're going to see uh, in 2020 what that work and what those boots on the ground really added up to when this movie hits the theaters. And I would, I would like to see that same kind of support go for Dale and the, the project that he's worked uh, on. You know, I just sent him something recently and, you know, Dale's been at this a long time. Uh, Dale, you know, Dale for me deserves to be behind the camera and get a shot as a director and have this story told. But more important than any of that, it's an important story to be told because the men and women that, uh, we're involved with No Better Place to Die. Their stories need to be told, and um, they don't get told unless the veteran community speaks up. Uh, like Jen said, like Hiram said, and Dale said, it's your it's your voices that that triggers Hollywood saying, "Oh well, there's a big audience there that wants to see this, so we'll get behind it." And uh, it's important for everyone here listening to get behind these projects and the, the individuals on this on this uh, podcast here, because, you know, we're the ones that have served and we're the ones that have been at it for quite some time. And we're the ones putting out the content now. And we'd love your support. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Jen. I'd like to share a short story that I think goes back to what we were talking about as far as how storytelling is important and how it can change hearts and minds and open up people's view. I had a guest star in Hawaii Five-O. I played a joint mortuary affairs officer who oversaw the dignified transfer of an airman killed in Kabul. That particular episode received so many retweets. It was one of the highest rated. I got so much feedback on it. And I think because the story was so authentic and heartfelt, it brought our 
war, the wars of Operation Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom and Beyond, into the home of the average viewer. The average viewer, it is not their war. It is someone else's war. Yes, there are people who die, but those are numbers. They don't know our brothers and sisters who are dying overseas. So I think that's a perfect example of people tuning in to watch TV and realizing the sacrifices of our young men and women overseas. So I think it's very important that we get back to storytelling um, because it does have impact as that particular episode shows. And I also just want to thank Captain Dai and the, and the people who kind of paved the way for us here in Hollywood, because like he said, there wasn't any organization when he came and he really knocked down a lot of walls for us and made it a more welcoming place. And if it wasn't for the trailblazers, we wouldn't have the success that we have. So we are all indebted to, to him and and the others who came and, and made this viable for us. Outstanding. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very kind, and, and I appreciate it. The neat thing for me, as being older than dirt, uh, <laughs> is, is, is to watch you young men and women veterans come and, and succeed and, and have that enormous motivation, the same motivation that you brought to any mission, any task when you were when you were wearing the uniform. Look, I think it's important for us to remember, and uh, Hiram, Travis, Jen, they all made allusions to this. Very, very few of the entertainment consuming members of American audiences ever served. Uh, we're a small community relative to the, the American population at large. And it, it, be, it falls on us. Um, to tell these stories, to convince the people that we serve and represent, the people for whom we're willing to sacrifice. They need to know that we're young men and women with great hearts and great minds and, and willing to take risks because we believe in this society and we believe in them and we believe they are worth the sacrifice. When they get that message, when they see that aspect of our mentality, of our psychology, our, our veteran community will be well served and well represented. Tonkin Golf. Logistics. Ramstein. Medic. Kandahar. As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry. Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Hope you enjoyed that. I want to thank Jennifer, Hiram, Travis, and Dale for coming on the show. For more information about Jennifer, you can find all her socials at jennifermarshall.com. Hiram, you can see his work and socials at backstage.com and search Hiram. That's Hiram Murray, H-I-R-A-M, Murray with two R's. And you can look up Travis Aaron Wade at travisaaronwade.com. And finally, Dale Dye, at Captain Dale Dye on most social media feeds. And you can find him at warriorsinc.com. Again, the last full measure, which has Travis and Dale in it, will come out January 24th to a theater near you. For more information on Dale's project, No Better Place to Die, you can go to nobetterplacetodie.com. 
for Hiram's project, you can find Tango Down at tangodownfilm.com. And The Great War is currently streaming on Amazon Prime and Hulu. For the two veteran communities in the film and television industry that were mentioned in the panel, you know what? I, I put links to them in the show notes to this episode at blogs.va.gov. Just search Born the Battle episode 177 on the website and you'll find it. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Navy veteran Mary J.W. Crumpler. Mary Jane Wilcox Crumpler was born in Iowa. Crumpler served in the Navy Nurse Corps from 1952 to 1955, most notably during the Korean War. She was commissioned at Philadelphia Naval Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she cared for wounded Marines. By the end of her service, Crumpler had achieved the rank of lieutenant. Crumpler then met her future husband, an Air Force pilot named Carl, in Philadelphia in 1953. After her service with the Navy Nurse Corps, Crumpler moved around wherever her husband served, including Okinawa, Michigan, New York, Iran, and Florida. Crumpler's husband's plane was shot down on July 5, 1968 during the Vietnam War, and he became a prisoner of war. As the wife of a POW, Crumpler became active during and after the Vietnam War, raising awareness of the situation of prisoners of war and missing into action through speeches and other public events. She joined the National League of Families, participating in local speaking engagements, letter writing campaigns, and the bracelet campaign for POWs and MIA service members. Thankfully, Crumpler reunited with her husband in Montgomery, Alabama in 1973 at Maxwell Air Force Base. She met periodically with other POW families over the years. Mary, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. If you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veteran and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. All right, as you could tell, we got some new outro music. So every week we'll go out with something a veteran artist made. Something. Could be a song, could be poetry, something made by veterans. If you're a veteran and would like to submit your artistic expression, hit us up at podcast.va.gov. What you're currently hearing now is the song Arc Light, made by veterans Guy James, Antoine Tut Stewart, and Cedric Hart, off the Ninja Punch music album, Sounds Like Freedom, Volume 1. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.